Part 2 of the story of Achitoifel. This part of the story takes place three years before the passing of David HaMalach, in the year 2921, which is 840 BCE. And at this point, this is after the incident with Bathsheba. And again, this class is not going to really deal with that as it doesn't directly pertain to the story of Achitoifel, mm-hmm. even though Bathsheba was the granddaughter of Achitoifel. The... The, the summary of the story was that David HaMelech married Bathsheba under very um, mysterious or suspicious um, circumstances. Of course, the Gemara explains that David HaMelech didn't actually sin, and that's a discussion for another time. But the point was, on his level, there was something wrong that was done. And David HaMelech, had, David HaMelech did tshuva for it for the remainder of his life. He continuously did tshuva for it. And Nosan Hanavi, who was one of the prophets of the time of, during the time of David HaMelech, came to him in the name of Hashem and told him that Hashem is going to give him trouble. And the trouble, that's what David HaMelech picked, the trouble was he's going to raise up evil from within David HaMelech's own, within his own, his, within David HaMelech's own house, and that person is going to take David HaMelech's wives before David, David HaMelech's eyes. And he's going to um, lie with these wives in the sight of the sun. That, this was the, the punishment for David HaMelech, or one of the punishments of David HaMelech for the whole incident of Bathsheba, that someone from his household is going to rise up against him and assault his wives. And that's, the, that's a small amount of context that's needed in order to understand to understand this, this story. Now, a, a little bit more context, just to understand what was going on. David HaMelech had many sons. His, his crown prince was a, was, a, was a man by the name of Amnon. And Amnon had a very embarrassing story that happened with his half-sister. And as a result of that embarrassing story, Avshalom, who was one of the, one of the, one of the eldest sons of David HaMelech, killed him. He killed his, his older brother, and he ran away. And eventually he made his way back, and David HaMelech forgave him, and he, brought, he made his way to the capital city. And it's then that the, the Navi says it was after 40 years. The question is, what is the 40 years? Because it wasn't after David HaMelech's 40 years of reign, because we know that there was three more years afterwards. So some of the rabbis actually say that there was 40 years after the Jewish people had asked Hashem for a king. Hashem said, you want to see what it looks like, to, the, the ramifications of having a king, because you're going to see what's bad, the, the bad side of it all, and the story of Avashalom then presented itself. And as you're going to see, as the story progresses, Achitofel is going to be a massive and a key player in this entire rebellion. So 40 years after they'd asked Hashem for a king, this story happened. Some people say it was actually the age of Avashalom. Avashalom, the rebellious son of, of David Hamalach, of King David, was 40 years at that time. And... Um, there's, there's different calculations. It's a very interesting discussion. Avshalom was a mastermind. He was a tactician. He was a he was a politician. He was a he masterminded the, the his rebellion very carefully and very and he made sure to ensure that no one was aware of his rebellion. Achitofel was one of the key advisors of David Hamelach at the time. Avshalom wasn't sure whether he, would, whether he could trust Achitof, as we're going to get to shortly. So until the rebellion was very well underway, Avshalom never invited Achitofel into it. All the planning, the initial planning, was all something that Avshalom did on his own, and it was deeply manipulative. The, one of the things he did was, 
unlike the rest of the sons who, you know, didn't really make a massive show. Many of them, Dovin Amal, I'm assuming most of his sons were extremely righteous. We know some of the names of his sons and these were extremely righteous men. He would ride with a chariot and horses around wherever he would go with 50 runners running in front of him. In fact, he had the spleens removed and the soles of the feet of these runners removed in order to improve speed. He wanted to make sure that these people could run as quick as possible. So he literally had surgery on these runners, on these men that were dedicated to run in front of him so that they could run extremely fast. He wanted people to know that he wasn't just a regular member of the royal family. Mamalas says he, he made a show to show everyone that, you know, he, he's, he's a, 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 a whole step above everyone else. He would wake up early in the morning and he would stand at the entrance of the gates. The gate is where the, where the court was, where David HaMalach himself would judge. And everyone was everyone recognized, even the people that didn't like David HaMalach all, all that much, they recognized that David HaMalach judged with extreme honesty and extreme fairness. So Avshalom realized that he needed to attack David HaMalach in the place that he excelled the most. So he stood by the gate and he would inquire the welfare of all these people. Now, princes, generally speaking, don't get up early in the morning. The princes sleep into very, very late. But Avshalom would purposely get up early and he would flatter the people. He asked personal questions and they, they were, they were, their mind was blown. Now, the prince, the royal prince, is just standing early in the morning and asking them how their day is and how their life is and where they come from, which city they come from. All these questions that Avshalom would ask them, they were so flattered to have so much attention by such an important person. Avshalom was, was an extremely handsome person. The, the, the Gemara talks about the most handsome people in history, and Avshalom and his hair. It was it's a it's not really part of the discussion here, but Avshalom was in the the count of the most handsome people in history. And he, what he would do is he would ask them about their court case. He would, and when he hear, heard all the details, he would insinuate that if he were the judge, he would judge favorably. And, you know, unlike his father, who was probably going to judge one of the sides, of course, guilty because, you know, one person's right, one person's wrong in, a, in most court cases. And so he would tell both sides, you know, if I were the judge, I would, I, would, I, would let you, I would say that you're the right person. Now, a judge is forbidden to hear testimony from one side, one litigant, without the other litigant present. That's not fair. But Avshalom would purposely do that. He'd, he'd have one litigant, he'd listen to everything they said, and he said, he would tell them, if I was the judge, you know, I would, I would definitely um, believe that you're right. And then he would see the opposite person of that litigation and tell them exactly, he would listen to all their things, not in the presence of the other person, and tell them, you know, if I was the judge, I would believe that, that you would be correct in court. So both of these people left with the impression that Avshalom, you know, he believes them, he would trust in them. And even simple gestures, or whoever would bow to him, he would reach out and he would kiss these people. He showed extreme love to all these people, the, the common folk, which might sound like a really nice and wonderful thing, but in the case of Avshalom, it wasn't because he loved the common folk and he loved the plebs. In Avshalom's case, he was trying to garner support. He was trying to, to very quietly and very effectively sway support from his father and get people to just love him and make himself look like he was a man of the people and he would insinuate that he would ask what tribe you come from insinuating you know if you're from the tribe of Yehuda if you're the tribe of Judah you know the tribe of David HaMelech well then you know you have a better chance at court he was trying to plant seeds of doubt against his father and it was quite it was very effective as 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 you'll see shortly 
Once Absalom had actually planted the seeds of rebellion and he gathered enough support of the people, of the spies, as we'll talk about in a moment, he now needed to get support of the scholars. He knew that the Jewish people that were, were people of the Torah and the, the nation of the Jewish people are not going to follow, especially in those days during the time of David Amalekh, such an such a, a incredible righteous man that people are not going to follow someone um, who's, who doesn't have support of the high court, who doesn't have support of all the, the Torah scholars. So he came to his father and told his father like this. He said, when I was exiled because of that uncomfortable story of him killing his older brother, he said, I made a vow to Hashem that if Hashem lets me return back to David HaMalach, he tells David HaMalach, he, he tells his father, I will bring a sacrifice in the city of Hebron. So that sounds like a very noble thing. So his father said, okay, so what do you want? And he said, I want two Torah scholars to accompany me. So his father was very impressed. That sounds like such a wonderful thing, such dedication to God. And so David Amal said, which two people do you want? I'll write a letter and you can bring it to that person. And they'll, those two people will come with you. And Avshalom said, I haven't decided which two scholars I would like to bring with me. So what we'll do is... You just keep a blank, write a blank check, write a blank um, invitation or a, a blank request to two scholars, and then tell them in that letter that you two men who Avshalom has reached out to, you're to go to the city of Heaven to accompany him to, for him to bring his sacrifice. David Amalek didn't suspect that this something was something um, you know duplicitous in his request, and so he wrote this request. And Avshalom went to two scholars, showed them the letter, and said, "My father wants you to." escort me as I go to um, Hebron. Now, they didn't assume that there was anything wrong, so they said, of course, David Amalek wants us, King David wants us to escort his son to Hebron, of course we're going to go. And then he took that same letter, went to two more scholars, and he collected 200 members of the high court, a massive envoy, who all came along, each one innocently thinking that they had been personally requested by David HaMalach, and they were doing the bids of the king to escort the son to Hebron. But meanwhile, in the eyes of the populace, 200 members of the high court were all escorting the crown prince to Hebron. It looked like he had so much incredible support of the people who he desperately needed the support from. Before leaving Yerushalayim, before leaving Jerusalem, Avsham set a network of spies across the country. And he told them like this. He said, when the, the signal is, 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 is made, all of you to blow on shofars and you to, to announce to all the tribes all across the country that Avsham is the ruler of Hebron. And he told them, don't be alarmed, don't be worried. This is, this is, this is the way it is. And now people assumed... That, and again, there are many different opinions exactly what Avshalom's um, plan was. But I'm kind of moving quickly along this because I want to get to the, to the part of the story that deals with Achitoifel. But people assumed, according to one opinion, uh, that just as David HaMelech had made his first step in Hebron, and he'd been the king there for seven years, so Avshalom wasn't really officially rebelling against the king. It's the way that Barbara now brings At least the, uh, Avshalom's initial plan, he wasn't planning to really rebel against David HaMelech. He wasn't trying to do away with David HaMelech. He wanted to set himself in to be the official king. So he said, my father was officially a king of Hebron. My father's not going to green light me to be the next king in Hebron. So I'm going to kind of just take matters in my own control. I'll become the king of Hebron. I'll kind of garner in, um, national support. And then my father will have no choice. So he made the announcement that people shouldn't be alarmed. Avshalom is now the king of Hebron. 
people just assume that Dovna Melech had okayed it and green-lighted, especially green-lit it, with all the Torah scholars supporting him. It looked like this was the request of Dovna Melech. And it could be possibly some of the ex, uh, some of the some of the commentators explain the the Mamelers brings this down that Dovna Melech might have even been fine with it had this been just the plan that Avshalom would just be the king of Hebron. The men that accompanied him at some point realized that they had been misled, that, that there were a lot more than two of them that had come, there was 200 of them that had all come, and all of them had received the same letter, and they realized at some point, and they actually started praying for the success of David HaMalach. In fact, in Tehillim, in Pad Shalom, you actually see a hint of that, where the people that had been misled and looked like they were on the team of Shalom, they were praying for the success of David HaMalach, because they knew that... Firstly, I'm assuming they knew that David Malach was righteous and, and Avshalom was, was a dreadful person, but also they knew that if they were to fall in the hands of David HaMalach, David HaMalach would spare them. But if David HaMalach were to fall into their teams, into Avshalom's hands, David HaMalach wouldn't be able to have such a great fate. Once Avshalom had officially secured his supporters in Hebron and had begun to sacrifice his kabbalahs, he called out to Avshalom, and he told Achitofel to join the rebellion. Now, the obvious question is, why didn't he call Achitofel from the get-go? Why didn't he just tell Achitofel, come join my team? It, you know, I, the fact that he invited him later on, is, it's clear that Avshalom had an inkling that Achitofel mm-hmm. would be a strong supporter of his. So why from the very get-go? Why didn't he let Achitofel help him plan the rebellion from the very beginning? So the rabbis say, Avshalom didn't trust him. He didn't know. Remember, Achitofel was a member of Yehuda. He was a relative of David Amal. They're also a relative of Avshalom. And Avshalom said, I can't afford for, any, for anyone to leak the news to David HaMelech that I'm planning this rebellion. So he said, until I have the rebellion down, one of the closest advisors to David HaMelech, Achitofel, I can't trust him to give him the information because maybe he won't be on my team. He'll go straight to my father and the whole rebellion will be over before it begins. So he said, I'd rather get my, my rebellion in works plan it all out, officially declare rebellion, and then I'll bring Achitofel on board. If he wants to join me, fantastic. The most loyal, the most powerful member of support for David Amal, his wisest advisor, will be on my team. And if it's not, well, no harm, no foul. You know, I, I tried to get him on board. So he sent he sent news um, um, he sent um, a message for him to join the rebellion and Achitofel officially joined the rebellion. He left his city, he came, and he, he officially became a part of the, the rebellion. David HaMelech, meanwhile, hears about the, the rebellion, and David HaMelech realized that he has to leave the capital city. It's, and it's so, it's so tragic when you think of it, because David HaMelech was the conqueror of the city of Yerushalayim. It's the city of David. Literally, to this day, it's called the city of David. And he's been the king for 37 years, and now he needs to run from his own capital because his son has rebelled against him, and David HaMalach knows being in Yerushalayim, being in Jerusalem was dangerous. The, the rabbis give different reasons. The Malbim, for example, explains that David HaMalach just didn't know who to trust. He was inside the capital city. Anyone could turn on him. He didn't know who was an ally, who was an enemy. So many people who he considered allies. I mean, look at Achitofel, his most a senior advisor, had gone over to Avshalom. He didn't know who to trust. And so he said, it's better for me to get out of the capital city because anyone could attack me from anywhere. The other reason that that David Amalekh was so compelled to leave the capital city was he was worried the men of Avshalom and Avshalom himself would declare the city um, 
to be an enemy, the entire city, and then so many in, um, innocent people who would be loyal to David HaMalach would now be, be, you know, on the receiving end of the ire of Avashalom. David HaMalach said, the best thing I could do is just leave the city, and then no one's connected to, and only the people that follow me are directly connect, connected to me, and therefore everyone else in the city is um, going to be safe. There's another answer, which is also really interesting. If you analyze the words a little bit, it's very, it's very interesting. The word vehidiach is, re- is mentioned in the Pasuk. And so the rabbis say, they say, this is a, a, a hint that David Amalek was worried. The Radak brings us down. He says, David Amalek was worried that Avsham would declare the city uh, an apostate city. Like the fact that they're loyal to David Amalek, he declared the entire city uh, uh, a city of rebellion, a city of idol worship, and then Avshalom would use this as a pretext to, to slaughter everyone in the city. And David Amalek understood that was a real possibility, and so therefore he decided the best thing for me to do is just to entirely leave the city, and thereby saving everyone from entirely getting wiped out. Not, even, not the loyalists and non-loyalists, everyone would get killed. And so David Amalek said, I can't have that on my, on my, um, on my watch. And another answer, which is also a very interesting answer, comes from, connected to the Medrash, and the mm-hmm. Radak brings mm-hmm. it down. He says that David HaMelech understood that Hashem was wiping the cup. Hashem was punishing David HaMelech for the sins of the earlier, the earlier story, that unfortunate story that happened with Bathsheba. And again, David HaMelech didn't sin. I want to make that abundantly clear. The Gemara makes it clear. Anyone that says David HaMelech sinned was making a mistake. But on the level of David HaMelech, whatever, whatever it was, whatever sin that David HaMelech perceived himself as doing, David HaMelech said, once Hashem is wiping the, cl- the, the cup clean, to kind of wipe away my sins and give me punishment as a return, David HaMelech said, anyone that's going to be surrounding me is going to be hurt. So David HaMelech said, the best thing I could do is just leave, leave everyone behind, and therefore no one's around me, and no one else kind of gets wiped out along as Hashem is wiping um, clean the cup. David HaMelech left the city barefoot and he sang to Hillim. And the, the, rabbis, the rabbis point out to the incredible um, love Hashem had for, the, the, Hashem obviously for David HaMelech, but David HaMelech towards Hashem, even as he was suffering, he was still singing Hashem's praise. He was walking barefoot. One opinion says he was walking barefoot because he didn't want anyone to assume it was him. He, the, he knew that the entire city was riddled with Avshom's spies. Avshom had planned this very well out in advance. And he said the easiest way to go undetected, no one will imagine the king is the person walking bare, barefoot through the cities of Yerushalayim. So he, he just looked like another person walking through the street. And he would just go entirely unnoticed. And so David Amalek walked barefoot and as inconspicuous as possible, trying to make sure that none of the spies could track his movements. And... He could, he could leave the city as undetected. Additionally, David Amal had been put into a excommunication. And what's so interesting is even though this was done by the enemies of David Amal, David Amal respected it. So he, he, he made himself like he was in, in, um, in excommunication. He covered his head. He walked barefoot. The ban was later, later on removed by Ira the, of Yarite. It was actually removed by him later on, one of David Amal's teachers. But, what, so long as it was in effect, David HaMalach actually took it very seriously. He treated it very good. And he brought his whole household along with him. But ten concubines were left behind. And again, this is a discussion for, for, another, for an, another class, possibly. But the, the concubines of David HaMalach were, they had the status of, of wives. Even though they weren't full wives, the, the rule is a king could only have 18 wives. But later on in Divra Hayamim, in in the end, Ezra writes this, writes details of the story of the rebellion, and 
they're called wives over there. The ten, the ten um, concubines that David HaMalach leaves behind, they're called wives because he gave them full betrothal. So these were men that David HaMalach had actually fully betrothed, although they weren't full wives. He left them behind in the house. David HaMalach couldn't imagine that his own son would assault his, David HaMalach's wives. So David HaMalach didn't, according to one opinion, didn't imagine that there would be any problem with leaving them behind. So his, his, his family, he, let, he brought them all with him, but ten of his concubines, he said, well, I don't need to bring them, they're going to be fully safe. Absalom's not going to start killing his own family or assaulting his own family, and so David HaMalach left them behind. David HaMalach knew about the, about the prediction of what was going to happen, but now that it was his son that had rebelled, Again, Dovid Amal just said it's impossible that he'd actually, he'd actually do it. Now, the whole bunch of things happen next, and I'm going to kind of summarize it quickly because I want to, I want to keep the story to Abishalom. The Crazy and the Placey, who were the official guards of Dovid Amal, they're experts in sword in combat, and they're also experts, of course, in Torah, they came out in support of Dovid Amal. And Itai the Gittite, who wasn't Jewish, he was from Gas, he came also um, in support of David HaMalach with his 300 warriors. There's a, the Barbara now brings down that, that he was Jewish. It's a discussion whether he was Jewish or whether he was not Jewish, but he was very dedicated to David HaMalach, even though he had ne- recently come, and he insisted on, on coming along. And as David HaMalach walked across the countryside, the people literally followed behind, and they wept. It was such a tragic thing. A king they loved so much was literally being chased out of the capital city, his own capital city, by his own son. The Ark, the Orin, was brought along to. The two chief Kayhanim, Evyasar and Tzadik, or Tzadik and Evyasar, they brought the Orin along with him because they said they don't want the Ark, Hashem's Orin, that has the, the, the luchos, the tablets inside, they don't want this to be in a city where a son is rebelling against the father. And so they took it out of the city and they brought it to David HaMalach, preparing to bring the Ark wherever David HaMalach went. Now, at that time, Evyasar was the chief, was the high priest, was the Kayan Gadol. And he asked the Urim Vatum, he asked the Hashem, you know, by way of the breastplate, for an answer about what to do, and he wasn't answered. And this, is, this became a very, very pivotal moment in history because this family had been the high priest family for many, many years, since Pinchas, a long time earlier, had lost that right. And once this descendant of of Eli, uh, who was the uh, descendant of Itama, the fourth son of Aaron, wasn't answered by the Urim Vetumim. He wasn't answered. Hashem didn't answer his question. Even though David Malch was on the run, David Malch understood at that moment that the high priesthood, that the Kuna Gedoyla had officially left that family and was now returning back to Pinchas's family, which at that point ended up going back to Pinchas's descendants. Sadiq asked Hashem a question and, and Sadiq was answered. And David understood that the curse of Eli, which I'm, I'm, we're going to dedicate a, cl- a few classes to le- at, in one of the later podcasts, David understood that the, the high priest, the Kuna Gedola, was now officially going back to Pinchas's family. But David insisted that the Ark return back to Yerushalayim. David said like this, if it's Hashem's will that I come back to the city, then I'll come back. And if not, then not. David Mark didn't want the Ark to come follow him wherever he went. And David began to prepare his defense. He told Tzadok to prepare his son and Evyasa to prepare his son. And they should be ready that if they discover plans and plots that Avshalom had put into place when attacking his father, these two young boys, the two sons of 
now what what are now the two high priests, they would be in a ready position to quickly run to David Amach to prepare to prepare information. David Amach needed info, he needed intel into what was going on with the plans of, of Shalom, and he didn't yet have an, an official spy, but he needed scouts, he needed people to take the spy's information and bring it officially to David Amach. So David Amach told the two high priests, he said like this, take the Ark back. If it's Hashem's will that I'll return to the city, then I'll be back re- reunited with the Ark. If not, then not. But you go back before it officially becomes official that you're on my side. Bring your two sons as well. Let people not realize that you're part of my side. And if there's any news, if there's any reports to be had, your sons will be in a ready position to tell me what the plans and the motives of Avashalom were. Now, David Amar still wasn't sure what were Avshalom's intentions and what was his plans. Avshalom had kept his cards so close to his chest that David Amar wasn't sure. Their opinions say that David Amar did, did know, and he knew that it was between two different plans, as we'll mention in a moment. And whatever the case was, David Amar definitely needed spies, he definitely needed more information, and he told the two high priests, you go back, bring the ark, bring your sons along, let them be the people that, that go back and forth. David Amar goes to... Mm-hmm the Mount of Olives. And the people that were loyal with him, they followed behind and they wept. And when David HaMelech realized that all the supporters were coming, David HaMelech looked out for his chief supporter, the person who he considered to be his closest friend, Achitofel. And Achitofel wasn't there. And so David's his opinions of how to translate this actual verse in, in the book of Shmuel Beis, where the David HaMelech asked about and then they, they investigated and realized that um, he hadn't actually joined, where the Dovin Amach already understood that Achitofel had joined his son and had betrayed him. Whatever the case was, Dovin Hamelch was extremely bothered. All the other people that had betrayed him, including his own son, they didn't make, it didn't bring Dovin Hamelch any fear. It brought him a lot of sorrow. He had to leave his own city. He, he was in a state of mourning and he was, he was in a lot of pain, but n- there was no fear. David HaMalch was not, he was not bothered by it, by it all, but Achitofel, the Medrash says, when he heard about Achitofel, he actually, he, he, was, he was worried. He was actually fearful of Achitofel. He was such a close friend. Achitofel was such a close friend of David HaMalch. He knew King David's deepest secrets, and David HaMalch at this point actually has to contend with it, and he prays to God because he discovers Achitofel is not on his side, and Akitofel has joined his, son, his son's side, and he says, Hashem, please turn the counsel, please turn the advice of Akitofel into foolishness. Donamalk didn't just pray, he prayed publicly that Hashem turns Akitofel's advice into foolishness. You have to remember, Akitofel's advice was extremely great. There are different reasons why he prayed. One is, Akitofel's literally, his, his, his wisdom was so great, Donamalk said, there's no one who could turn Akitofel's wisdom into into foolishness and therefore the, all i'm left to do is pray to god to do this because hashem being the source of wisdom he hashem is the only way that achitofel's wisdom could turn into foolishness and another opinion says that david wasn't praying for it to be foolish but rather it david was praying that achitofel's advice was to be believed like it was foolish he was he didn't care about achitofel's advice but he wanted people to consider achitofel to be foolish Achitofel could give, give, give good advice. David Amach wasn't concerned about that. But David Amach wanted Avashalom to consider Achitofel foolish. And all the other people to consider Achitofel foolish. That way they wouldn't follow it. Because David was very worried that if they followed the advice of Achitofel, as you can see soon, David Hamalach realized that Achitofel knew 
the right thing to do. And if he were to advise Avshalom, it wouldn't be good for David HaMalach. The third reason why David HaMalach prayed is David HaMalach was actually hoping someone would step forward to help. So David HaMalach was praying to Hashem, but he, he prayed aloud saying, you know, Hashem will send someone to help me. Let them hear my my pleading to God, and then they'll step forward and they will assist me. The, right after David HaMalach prayed to Hashem to, to turn Achitofel's advice into foolishness, one of David HaMalach's closest friends show up. His name was Hushai Ha'aki, and he was an extremely close friend of David HaMalach. He was an old man. He was a loyal friend, and he was not a warrior. The rabbis say he, he wasn't a warrior. The rabbi brings this down. He wasn't a warrior. He's possibly an old, elderly man. And he's following David HaMalach. And he says, wherever David HaMalach, wherever King David goes, I'm going together with him. And David HaMalach told him like this. He said, you're going to be a burden. You're coming along. You're not a warrior. You're not a fighter. You're an old man. You don't belong on the battlefield. You don't belong schlepping out of the city of Jerusalem. You'll be so much more valuable to me if you go back home. And Dovid HaMalach tells Chush like this. He says, I want you to go to my son, pledge your loyalty, and you have two jobs. You're my official spy. You have to, and in, in spying, you have two jobs you need to do. Number one, you have to undermine the advice of Achitoifel. And number two, send spies with reports using the two sons of Evyasa and Tzadik, the two high priests. Send their sons, tell me what's going on. Tell me what Achitofel's advising Avshalom. Tell me what's actually going on in the capital. That way I can know how to prepare myself accordingly. What's so interesting is that David didn't tell Hushai what to actually say. It almost sounded like David Amach couldn't care what Hushai said. The only objective he had to do is hear what Achitofel says and just say the opposite. David Amach was so terrified of the accuracy and the potency of Achitofel's advice. He said, the safest advice I could possibly do, whatever the plans are, the best plans would be not what Achitofel says. So he just told Hushai, do whatever you can to ensure that your advice is just in counter to Achitofel's. Even if Achitofel's advice doesn't sound very clever, just say the opposite. And even if your advice is really, really good advice, and as you're going to see, this, this is kind of what happened, make sure you say your advice so long as it's opposite of him. And David insisted to Hushai that he, that he pl- pledge his loyalty to Abshalom. Now that was something that Hushai wasn't comfortable with. He loved David HaMalach. It sounds like he was not a, he was not a, a fan in the slightest of Abshalom. And David HaMalach is now telling him, go and lie and say that you're, you're a fan of, of Abshalom. When Hushai loved David HaMalach with such an incredible love. But he was king told him to do something. So he actually he actually turned around and he went he went back. Now Malbim explains what was Avisham's motivation? What actually motivated him in this rebellion? What did he want? And it's important to understand this, especially when you're in light of understanding what Achitofel's gonna advise him to do. The Malbim says Avisham was motivated to be rebel because he understood that David Amalch was going to crown King Solomon firstly he's going to crown him and secondly he was going to do this during his own lifetime David Amalek wasn't going to wait until he passed away but David Amalek was going to do it during his own lifetime he was going to, he was going to crown his son who by the way at this, at this time was still only 9 years old Shlomo was only 9 years old at the time of the rebellion and so 
Absalom said, I want to be the next king. And I can't wait till David HaMelech passes away because I have reason to believe that he's going to crown the next king during his lifetime, which means I need to actually start the rebellion now. And now he had two ways to proceed. He needed to become king, but he had, he, he had to do it in two, two ways. Option number one, and this sounds like this is what Absalom's preferred option was, is make a rebellion Force David HaMelech to contend that he to contend with Absalom and realize that he was a real force to be dealt with. David HaMelech would kind of officially retire, you know, from public life, and Absalom would take over. David HaMelech would still be alive, and Absalom would be the king. And if Absalom could get that, he had he didn't want to um, kill his father. In fact, he was desperately wanted to avoid the, sting, the stigma associated with killing his father, and so. This was his preferred option. Of course, it came with a risk. And the risk was, David HaMelech could always change his mind. So long as he's alive, you know, he's kind of holding the strings to Absalom's own kingship. But Absalom didn't really want to kill his father. He just wanted to be the king, the next king. And he understood that in order to become the next king, he had to become officially a king during the life of David HaMelech. So he needed to put as much pressure on his father in such a way that his father realized the best option would be to just move aside and let his son take over. The second option, of course, that Avsham understood, if he were not to get option number one, option number two would be not to leave David HaMelech alive and become the official king. And this would, of course, stop David HaMelech from ever supporting anyone else because that was it. Avsham would be the king and David HaMelech wouldn't be able to um, influence anyone or start to lean towards any other king being an option. Now, David HaMelech knew with certainty that Achitofel was going to act, um, advocate towards killing David HaMelech. Achitofel had already proven himself as someone who deeply hated David HaMelech. And even though David HaMelech had so much love towards Achitofel, Achitofel still believed he was supposed to be king. And for him to be a king, David HaMelech had to get out of the picture. Achitofel realized the best way for him to officially become king was to get to spur a rebellion, to successfully let Avshalom become king, find a pretext to kill Avshalom, and then he'll take over the kingship himself. So Achitofel was highly motivated in Avshalom winning, but not just becoming king, because if David HaMelech was still alive, it wouldn't help Achitofel's case. He needed David HaMelech not to be around. He needed Avshalom to become the next king, and then he needed to do off with Avshalom himself. David HaMelech traveled south. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stories that happened along the way. It's not the scope of this class to talk about it because it doesn't really deal with Achitofel. But David HaMelech uh, meets with Siva, who's a, who's a servant of the grandson of King Shaul, who supports him. And it was duplicity. It was a very a really interesting story. But the point was he, he tricked David HaMelech. And then David HaMelech came across uh, another relative. Remember, he's going through Binyamin territory. He's going through you know, the, the tribe of King Shaul. Not all of them were so supportive of King David. Mm-hmm. And Shimon ben Gera came out and cursed David HaMelech. And David HaMelech stopped the men from killing him, even though later on Shimon ben Gera got, got a, his punishment. And then David HaMelech arrived in the city of Bahurim. David HaMelech was exhausted. He, re- he was resting in the city. And meanwhile, Avshalom, he's traveling north, and he makes his way into the city of Jerusalem together with Achitofel. And as soon as he does, Hushai Ha'arki, David HaMelech's friend, who's now a, a, a double agent, essentially, goes to Avshalom and he starts screaming out, Yechi HaMelech, Yechi HaMelech, long live the king. 
pretending that he approves the Avshalom's kingship. What's really interesting, by the way, he left it vague. The Mamelech says he left it vague because when he was screaming out, long live the king, he didn't say which king. He actually meant David Amalek. But Avshalom, of course, assumed that someone screaming long live the king in front of him was referring to himself. So he was very, he was very flattered, but he was very, very suspicious. Why was he suspicious? Chushai Ha'arki's love of David HaMalach was no secret. Everyone knew how much Chushai loved David HaMalach. And now David HaMalach's... Achitoifel wasn't such a surprise that he back, backstabbed David HaMalach. People um, gathered that, that, that feeling from him that he wasn't David HaMalach's biggest fan. But in the case of Chushai, Avshalom was shocked. And Avshalom said, someone that's such a close friend of my father... And during my father's greatest need, he's going to go and support his son. How can I possibly trust you? You're, you're, that, that's, not, that's, not, that's not trustworthy behavior. How could you betray my father? So, and he told Hushai, he said it's a double, double betrayal. Number one, you're not supporting my father during his time of need. And secondly, you could just go to your house and say, I'm not getting involved. And that would already be one betrayal. But supporting my father's enemy, when you're literally the, such a close friend and such a dedicated supporter of my father, how can I trust you if you do a double betrayal to my father? And Hushai answered very pragmatically. And it's amazing. He was a very wise man. And, 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 as, and, as, and as sneaky and, and, and manipulative as Avshalom was, you could see Hushai was, was his match, he was his peer in, in every respect, he knew how to, how to trick Avshalom just as Avshalom was tricking everyone else around him. Hushai said, my friendship with your father, yes it's a very very strong friendship, but it doesn't extend past his role as king. I'm his, he's my king and I'm dedicated to him and because he's my king I'm therefore such a close friend. But now that your reign has begun, Okay, now my now my allegiance shifts. It's not it's not a friendship, and now he's my king. It's a, he's a king. Okay, he's not just my king; he's also my friend. Now that you're the king, argued Hushai. Now my loyalty is with you. And he said, Hashem's with you. The high court's with you. The people are with you. Therefore, you're the official king of the Jewish people, and therefore, my lo- my friendship and my loyalty now belongs to you. A second reason Hushai said for Avshalom not to be suspicious. He said. I'm not betraying David Amach. In fact, I'm the biggest advocate of David Amach. I just believe that my good friend's making a mistake. He hasn't appointed you king, and you're rightfully the next one in line. I'm not betraying David Amach. I'm just showing David Amach. He should make the right choice, and he should appoint you to be the next one in line. And this actually, the second reason, really kind of feels... Um, it flows with the rest of the story, where you see Hushai, Hushai was pretended to be supportive of Avshalom as an extension of King David. He said, I love my best friend David HaMalach. And I just, you know, I want him to make the right, right choice and be, you know, be good for the kingdom to, to officially appoint Avshalom to be the next king. And the Marmalez actually points out as well in, in, in this regard. He says, the reason why Hushai's you know, the fact that Hushai's explanation actually made sense, because Hushai, in the explanation, he didn't say he hates David HaMalach. Achitoifel was very much against David HaMalach, and he, he made no secret of it, and his intentions made it even clearer. In the case of Hushai, Hushai said, I love David HaMalach. I just want David HaMalach to make the right choice in regards to his successor. The fact that Avshalom didn't you know, recoil from that answer shows that at this point... Avshalom really had no intention of killing his father. He just wanted mm-hmm. to be the next mm-hmm. king, whatever it took. 
Now, if he needed to kill his father, he would kill his father. That's not what he wanted to do at this point. And he had every intention of making sure that he could keep his father alive. And he could just be the next king. So, now that he's officially in Yerushalayim, his, father's, his father literally ran together with a, few, with a small group of loyalists. And Avshon calls his advisors in and tells his advisors, help me out become partners with me in the coup against my father. He wanted them to advise, but he didn't want them to all be passive participants and be able to claim, you know, we were fought. He wanted them to be active um, members of the rebellion. So he says, okay, give me advice. Now, in this particular case, the only person that gave advice was Achitoifel. And unfortunately, it becomes one of the most dreadful stories in, in Jewish history, because Achitofel was the only one to give advice. And in order to understand how Achitofel's advice was accepted, you have to understand Achitofel was considered, and literally the verse literally um, says this right here, it was like you're talking to God. Achitofel's advice was so precise, it was, it was like prophecy, it was like God talking to you. People didn't question Achitofel. Unfortunately, that's a very big problem. You need to question things. If a, if a prophet says something in the name of God, okay, but other, if a regular person says something, even if he's an angel-like type of wisdom, an angel-like type of person, and he's such a deep, wise man, you need to question that. You can't just accept things just, just because someone, someone wise said them. Achitofel gives his advice, and no one else, Hushai, doesn't get a chance to, to say anything. Achitofel just says, he, he tells Avisham, you have a big problem on your hands. You have so many people across the country who are so le- loyal and dedicated to you, but everyone knows the, the big elephant in the room, that if David HaMelech somehow succeeds in winning the war, all the people that rebelled against David HaMelech, they're going to get punished. But the only person who's not is Avshalom. Avshalom is the son, son of the king. He's going to a slap on his wrist and he'll be fine. Achitofel told Avshalom, if you want a really Ghana in national support, and you want all of them to really fight for you with a real passion, you need to show the nation, you need to show everyone that you're very much on their team and that you have as much to risk as they have, that you're, you have to do something so deeply against, so deeply personal against your father, they realize there's no coming back. And just as they're in big trouble if David HaMelech wins, Achitofel argued to Avshalom, you need to show the people that you're also going to be in big trouble if David HaMelech wins. Now, what was Achitofel's motive? What, what, what did he want? He wanted Avshalom to do a capital offense. Because if he were to do a capital offense, when, when everything finished, when Avshalom succeeded in winning the war and getting rid of his father, Achitofel will then bring Avshalom to court and say, you just did a capital offense, you did, did something so serious that Torah law argue, um, requires that you be killed, and that would be an easy way to do off with Avshalom. So Achitofel said, Nosan the prophet already predicted that someone from David HaMelech's family was going to um, um, disgrace David HaMelech and um, sleep with David HaMelech's wives in public. Achitofel told Avshalom, the only thing you could do right now is you need to um, oppress David HaMelech's wives in, pro- in public and you need to show everyone that you're doing this and the word will spread. David HaMelech will hear what happened and all the rest of the Jewish people will hear what a dreadful, disgusting thing you did. You're violating the king's wives and thereby you'll be on the same team with all the Jewish people with everything to lose if David HaMelech wins. What's so crazy is that Avshalom carried it through. He didn't question him. And again, it shows you, firstly, 
I guess the depravity that 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 Avisham had had led himself to, how compelling and deeply evil Achitofel was, and also how respected Achitofel's wisdom was. He he gave wisdom with such preciseness and accuracy. At this point, he'd get it. He he had a track record for giving good advice that people just didn't question it. They just said, "Okay, I guess I guess that's all right." And so he did it. One of the one of the most horrifying stories in in Jewish history, Achitofel violated the wives of David Hamelch, the ten wives that were concubines, but still they had the status of wives who David Hamelch had left behind, never imagining that his son would do something so dreadful. And that's that's exactly that's exactly what 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 happened. Now, what's so crazy, and the rabbis bring this down, that as bad as this advice, as evil and perverted as this advice was. The Radak brings down it was precise advice. That Achitofel wasn't tricking Avshalom, just giving him bad advice. He was giving him evil, manipulative, disgusting advice. But the advice itself was sound. When people saw what Avshalom did, they actually it, it, it did it did garner incredible support. His supporters thought, oh, "Wow, Avshalom is really on our side." And if Avshalom loses, there's no way that David Amalek is going to let him off the hook. And they became fiercely loyal to Avshalom. Because they said, okay, he, he really, he's, he's really ready to do this. And if he's ready to do this, we're ready to do this too. Now, that was to, ga- to garner the support. Avshalom now had the support. The next step, and this all happens straight away, within quick succession of each other. The next step was to actually work out how to attack his father. How to show David HaMalach that he was serious. And that David HaMalach should kind of um, resign and fold before Avshalom. Achitofel came to... to um, Avshalom and told Avshalom, I have a good advice for you. What you need to do is, and it was a five-pronged advice. He said, don't wage a full-force attack against your father. The time it will take to gather all the Jewish people together, it will be too long. What you should do is get 12,000 warriors, 1,000 from each tribe so everyone's involved. Get the fiercest, most extreme warriors you could get, an elite group of 12,000 warriors. And he told him secondly, that was part number one. Part number two, he said, Avisham, you're not to join the battle. If you join the battle, you run the risk of getting killed. And also, you run the risk of having pity on your father. So he said, you don't go, I'll lead the men. And he said also, and, he, and he, he didn't want Avisham to have pity for his father, so he needed this to be very compelling. Achitofel told Avisham, if you go to war, it's going to be a stigma for the rest of your life. You're the one that, that, that's the king that killed his father. You'll never be able to outlive that, never be able to outrun that. So he said, what you do instead is, send me. I'm the perfect person to go, because if I kill David HaMelech, everyone's going to say, well, he's just avenging the, his grandsons, his granddaughters, Husband, remember, David Hamelach, under under a, a rightful pretext, had Uriah Chiti, his his wife's um, previous husband, killed, or wasn't officially a husband. Again, discussion for a, for a, for a different class. But the point was, David Achitofel had really good reason to want David Hamelach killed in the public eye. So. Achitofel tells Avsham, "You stay back. Number one, you might kill, get killed, and in his own mind, he's thinking." I don't want Avisham on the battlefield because he's going to spare his father's life and I need David Amalek to be killed in the battlefield. And so he says, let me go instead. It won't be much of a stain for me because everyone understands that, you know, I have a good reason to, to not like David Amalek. The third part of Achitofel's advice was attack at night. David Amalek is still weak. 
Achitof understood that in a in the face of such sorrow, what would David HaMalch be doing? He'd be fasting and be crying to God. And so he said, if I attack David HaMalch right now, there is no chance that he has energy. He'll be so weak from fasting and crying to Hashem that he'll just he'll be so easy to, to attack. And also if we attack at night, we'll be able to frighten the men. We'll attack so quickly, they won't be expected. Everyone's going to run in all different directions. The only person who's not going to run is David HaMalch. He's not going to run away. And therefore, we'll have David HaMalch all alone. We won't, we won't have to kill as many people. We go to a full-scale war... So many people are going to die. And he understood that Avshalom doesn't want people dead. He wants as large of a kingdom as possible. Part number four of his advice was that David HaMalach actually be killed. Achitayofu was wavering back and forth. Does David HaMalach actually have to be killed? Or could, could we just put David HaMalach in a tight spot that he will agree to let me be ne- the next king? And he could live. And he, did, he didn't want to kill his father. But Achitayofu's advice was that no, you have to. If you want to be a king, you need to make sure that your father is killed in the battle. And the fifth part of the Archetypical's plan, which is kind of connected to the third one, at least in the, 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 the way that Abarbanel breaks it down, he says that David HaMelech should be the only one killed, and no one else needs to die in the battle. Only the king needs to die in order for Avshalom to be king. And then afterwards, all those people will come back home, officially loyal subjects to the king's son, Avshalom. Now, Avshalom liked the advice of Achitofel. At the same time, he, he decided, unlike the first time around, he decided he needs to get more advice. So he went to the rest of his advice and said, Achitofel gave good advice, but what other advice would you, would, would you suggest to me? And this was Chushai Arki's um, chance. And of course, this is what really changed the, the, entire, um, the entire focus of the war. And the success of the war as well. But the question is, why did Avishalom not take Achitofel's advice? The first time around, doing one of the most devastating, disgusting, um, horrific behavior in front of, in public, literally on the roof of, of the castle so everyone could see, he didn't question it. And now, suddenly he's questioning Achitofel's plan. What, what happened in between? One opinion is, Achitofel was still bothered about the idea of kill, killing his father. So when Achitofel insisted that this is, this is what has to happen, Avshalom said, you know, before we go ahead and do this, let's, let's actually get someone else's advice. So he, he reached out to his other, uh, other advisors, giving, giving Achitofel a chance to step forward and present another argument. And the second opinion is that Hashem listened to the prayers of David Amalek. David Amalek begged that people wouldn't take Achitofel's advice seriously. And so now Avshalom for no good reason, was saying, you know what? I'd like to hear another opinion because something doesn't sit right with me. So Hushai stood up and Hushai gave his, gave his arguments. He very cleverly, instead of just going on the full attack of Achitofel, Hushai stood up and did something that, was, that, sh- that would have shocked everyone, which is rather shocking entirely. He told Avishalom, and he told Avishalom, I agree with Achitofel's original advice. Achitofel's original advice is very good advice. That what he told you to, to violate the wives of David Amalek. Now, why would he have said that? Because it was already done. Of course, Hushai didn't believe that that was good advice. That was disgusting, was horrific. One of the worst sins that exists, if not the worst sin that exists, violating the king's wives, violating anyone's wives. It's disgusting, it's depraved. But Hushai said, it's already done. And if I make it sound like, I agree with Achitev, he's a wise man, I'm on, I'm on his team and I'm on your team. I agree with advice number one. This time he's wrong. It's very clever, but again, 
He was using um, Avshalom's manipulative behavior, but now against him, he was manipulating Avshalom. So he made it sound like I'm on Avshalom's team. I agreed with the first idea, but in this case, no, it's not a good, it's not a good idea. And he gives three reasons, going to Abarba now, three reasons why Ahitofel's plan wasn't sustainable. It wasn't a good plan. He said, if you're going to chase after a king that just escaped his capital city, is in deep distress, you know that, that it makes sense to, to chase him with an elite squad and, and just quickly attack. But you're not dealing with a regular king and you're not dealing with regular soldiers. David Hamalach is one of the greatest warriors in human history. You think you're going to attack him from behind and he's just gonna, he's, you're just going to succeed like that? You're dealing with, with a man whose entire career has been successful campaign after successful campaign, a warrior par excellence. You can't just a surprise attack someone like this. He said, he said secondly... Attacking such a skilled warrior would be a bad idea, but the state of desperation that David and his men are in right now, it's the worst idea to attack him. They have nothing to lose. They're out of the capital city. They've been chased out by their own sons. It's going to be such a bad idea to attack them when they have, when in such a state of desperation. Wait for things to calm down. Wait for them to not have that, that wild angst that's going to be, make them unstoppable. When they're more calm and collected, then you could, then you could fight them in, in a more organized way. And Dovid, and, and Hushai argued, thirdly, David al-Malach isn't trapped in a city. He's out somewhere in the, in the wilderness. And how are you going to find him? He said it's like a bear, a bear that lost its children, that a forlorn mother bear. It's in deep state of agony. It's wild and it's roaming around outside the city. You get a hundred men to try to trap it. There's nothing to be done. That bear is unstoppable and that bear is untrappable. And additionally, Hushai argued, and this, this, this is the Marmalas, and the Marmalas bring it down. That Hushai argued, David al-Malach, he's an expert. He's, he knows what you're planning, and he's probably lying in ambush, waiting for an attack from the rear, waiting for an elite squad to come, and the, the, you, you think you're going to surprise him. You can't surprise such a master of war. Now, why, what's the big deal? Who cares? So, so the first so Achitofel and 12,000 men all attack and they, they lose. Why would that be such a problem? Hushai said, it, this is a nightmare. This will become the very beginning, the, the beginning and end of your campaign. If you want to have a successful battle against Abed Malch, you have to make sure that your first campaign is successful. Because if you lose your first campaign, you're going to send 12,000 men. They're going to get wiped in a second by Dovin Amal, who's a fierce warrior, surrounded by the fiercest, most loyal warriors, who are in such a state of desperation. And across Israel, they're all going to hear, Dovin Amal crushes the rebellion in an instant. And Hushai argued to, to Avshalom, everyone's going to remember in an instant that 37 years, Dovin Amal has been um, um, leading campaign after campaign of successful wars and battles and the second you get crushed in your first battle they're going to remember wait a second going against David Hamalch is not a good idea and you're going to lose national support in an instant morale will be over you, you think you have nothing to lose okay you just lose 12,000 men in Achitofel he says no morale is going to be over everyone's going to remember that wait a second the person we're going against is David Hamalch so Hushai said, okay, you want real advice, you want good advice? Akitofel's a smart man and all, but in this particular case, he's wrong. Hushai argued, in this particular case, what you need to do is you need to gather every single supporter, from Don to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand in the, by the sea, and you need to personally lead them into battle. You need to have every single person on your team all gathered together and wage a 
full-scale, uh, massive war against David HaMelech, and then you'll be able to actually assure a victory. You have such a massive um, amount of people with you. And it sounded like that the amount of people that, that could be gathered would be a, so much greater than the, the small amount of people that David HaMelech would, would be able to gather. And David HaMelech will then retreat. And if David HaMelech retreats in a, into a city, you'll take ropes in the city, you'll take down the bricks, there won't even be a pebble to be found. And Tushai's argument was, instead of rushing into a battle that you're definitely going to lose, destroying your your rebellion in a moment, plan this out properly, gather a far more numerous army, and go to a full-scale war against a king who's outside of his city in the middle of nowhere. Chusha argued that was a, that's a far, better, um, a, a far better plan. Now, what's crazy is Chusha's argument is very compelling. It, it really is very logical. And Chushai also did something very clever. In the actual verses, you notice something very interesting. He uses a lot of poetry, a lot of really um, fancy words and poetic words, like sand by the sea, encamped around him like dew on the, mm-hmm. on the ground, take ropes and haul it into the ravine, even not a pebble can be found. All these really interesting words, all these fancy poetic words. Hushai was manipulating Avshalom. Avshalom loved fancy words. He would use that on everyone. He always thought he was so clever because he was manipulating everyone else. Hushai said, if he's so attracted to manipulation, he is obviously going to be very receptive to that too. So Hushai used on the master manipulator manipulation because he understood this is the language he talks. So he started using fancy poetic words and, and Avshalom was captivated. He was like, this sounds like a really good plan. This sounds so, so wonderful. Now it actually does sound like a really good plan. The only thing is, Achitofel's advice was so far superior and was absolutely right. And the rabbis say, and the Malbun brings it down exactly like this. He says, had Avshalom listened to Achitofel, Avshalom would have won the war. He actually would have succeeded. Achitofel's advice was absolutely precise and Chusha's advice was not good. Even though Avshalom found himself captivated by Chusha's advice and Chusha's advice really did sound compelling and sounded really dangerous. It sounded like a lot of people were going to die. A lot of people did die. The Avshalom should have listened to Achitofel and had he listened to Achitofel's advice, he would have won the war. It shows you what a, what a, a clever person Achitofel was. He was a wise man. He was a great scholar in Torah. He knew so much wisdom. Unfortunately, though, he had something very rotten inside of him. And in the next class, we'll discuss exactly how it proceeded from there, how it all went south because of Avshalom not listening to the advice of Achitofel.